Hello, friends. Welcome to Resting Church Face, a podcast. I am your host, Amanda Allen, and this is episode 43. The holidays are here, but so is holiday anxiety. So this week, we're going to talk about ways to manage that stress and maintain our sanity. So sit back, relax, be like Jenna Rink from 13 Going on 30, and get a fluffy pillow and a glass of water, and let's talk about it. It's the holiday season, so zippity-doo and dippity-dot. I don't know the rest of these words, but we are there. It is definitely the holiday season. Halloween just ended. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and this is my favorite time of year. It really is. I love the lights. I love the food. I love getting together with family and friends and just that warm, cozy, you know, well-wishing feeling for everybody. I love it. However, this is also, the older I am getting, the most stressful time of year. And in speaking to a lot of my friends, we kind of all feel the same way. Sometimes the stress and anxiety of the holiday season begins to outweigh the joy of it. And that's not cool. I don't like it. You know, last year was the first year that when Christmas was over, I was relieved because I was like, oh, we made it. And I don't like feeling that way. I don't want to feel like that again. And, you know, some stress is unavoidable. There are people that we have to be around sometimes that we would prefer not to be. Um, it is stressful trying to figure out how we're going to be at every, every function before Christmas. All the parties, all the family get-togethers, all of the presents we have to buy, people that are hard to buy for. It can, you know, it can, it can stack up. And that's not even considering normal stress, like everyday life, things that are happening. You know, this is all in addition to that. So what are some ways that we can keep our stress levels down? Now, before I start this episode, there are two things I want to talk about that I don't talk about during the episode, but I do think are very important. One, I do think that prayer is extremely helpful in combating anxiety. It probably is the most helpful thing that I do. My faith and the way that I feel about how God helps me through things like this are really important. So do know that. And then secondly, I take anxiety medication. I take anti-anxiety medication. I'm not ashamed of that. So if you are feeling that your stress is becoming unmanageable and is beginning to take over your everyday life, you need to go see a professional. And again, Do not be embarrassed about that. There's nothing wrong with needing some help. But I don't talk about this in this episode. The ways that we're going to be talking about dealing with stress are just day-to-day small things that we can do to make things a little bit easier for us. And all of these really can pertain to any time of the year, not just the holiday season. But I do think that These are things that we can do during Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's that will just help us calm down. So let's get into it. I've touched on this in other episodes, but one of the best ways that I have found to combat anxiety and stress is having a set routine. It's also something that I sometimes resist because I don't like having a set schedule. I don't like having somebody be in charge of me. I have fought against against that my whole life. But when I have a set routine, it really does calm me. I know that a lot of the sources of my stress have to do with the fact that I am not in control. 
There are things that are going on around me, external conflicts, and I can't fix them myself. I can't control them. And it causes me great stress. And so sometimes I will look for ways to control things in my life, and that will manifest in an unhealthy way. For me, a lot of the time, it is food. Um, I will overeat, right? Because I can control what I'm eating. Nobody can tell me what I can eat. So I'll eat too much, or sometimes I'll eat too little. You know, and it's, it's, the, it's different sides of the same coin, but it's about control. Or I will micromanage things, you know, other people even, you know, like reminding them to do things over and over or just being too involved in someone else's life or paying too much attention to this and this when I'm not paying attention to my own because I can't control what's going on in my life. So I might as well try to control what's going on in theirs. And so that's unhealthy. But having a set routine is a way that I can control some things in my life, but in a healthy way. So I have found that getting up in the morning and doing the same things, I make a cup of coffee, I make my breakfast, I listen to music, I have my quiet time, and I have that at the same time every morning. I try to get up around 6, 6.15, and that time, that hour and 45 minutes or so before I start work at 8 is my time. It's time I control. I am in charge of that time. I can do what I want to do. And also that early, there's nobody asking me to do things. Nobody's calling you, hopefully not, at 6.15 wanting you to do things for them. It's your time. You can control that. And then again, in the evening, I also have some set routines. I will, after work, you know, watch TV, read, do whatever. That's my time. But at the same time, every night, I've really tried to turn things off, turn off the TV, turn off social media. We'll get into that later in this episode a little bit more, um, take my nighttime vitamins and things that I do, get into bed at the same time, unwind, read a little bit, and try to be in bed at the same time every night. This is a routine that I can control. And sometimes these little routines that I do throughout the day, these little set moments for myself are all I feel like I can control. But it's something. And that something calms me. And it helps me to be able to face other anxieties and other stresses every day in a better way, in a healthier way. So for me, routines are essential. And now let's talk about what is the hardest thing, for me anyway, that I have to do in order to maintain sanity (laughs) and to keep myself from spiraling and just being super anxious. Listen, we all have people in our lives that we love, but that stress us out. (laughs) They just do. They are not easy relationships. You know, we have easy relationships in our lives too. I have a handful of people in my life that I'm so blessed to have and so thankful for that are very easy you know, I can show up in their house in pajamas. I can invite them over to my house and it can be messy. And I know that they're not going to walk in and go, oh, you live like this or whatever, you know, they're easy relationships. I can be totally myself. It's, it doesn't take work. It doesn't stress me out. But those are few and far between. I have a lot of other relationships in my life that are just, they're stressful. And I'm sure that I am one of those relationships for other people. We all have different friendships and different relationships in our life, but the people that stress us out, we have to set boundaries up for contact with those people. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't love them, but 
for us to have good relationships and to be able to keep ourselves healthy mentally, we have to limit our contact in some areas. I have a friend who wants to know everything. It doesn't stress her out to hear everybody's problems all of the time. She can handle it. She can compartmentalize in her mind and, you know, deal with what needs to be dealt with now and move on to the next thing. And she can order them in importance in her mind. And she doesn't let other people's stress and problems get to her. I am not, I wish I was that way. I am not that way at all. I'm always envious of her. I can't take a barrage of feelings every day, all day. And I think most of us can't. I think that that is, you know, she is superhuman in that way, but most of us are not. And there are people that are in my life that are just unaware that they are shooting me texts and phone calls at all hours of the day, telling me about a lot of problems. And some of these problems are things that I'm involved in. I have to be able to help. But sometimes sending me a text at two o'clock on a weekday is probably not the best time for me to deal with it because I need to focus on my job. Now, have I sat this person down or these people and said, hey, you know, you're driving me crazy. (laughs) You're texting me 18,000 times a day. No, because that's mean. That would be super awkward to have a face-to-face conversation like that. But you know... Our iPhones are wonderful things, our smartphones. We can set up boundaries without having to tell people that we're setting up boundaries. I can set parameters around times to text. I can say, you know, I'm not going to be receiving notifications for texts from this time to this time, from 8 to 5. So from 8 to 5, I can focus. And then at 5 o'clock when that notification you know, boundary turns off, that that's, you know, restriction, I may get 40 texts from somebody, but it's okay. You know, maybe it's not okay, but I am much more able to handle those texts and those messages and those phone calls and voicemails because I have focused on what needed to be focused on during the day and now I can move to something else. And this has been life-changing for me. And it's so it's so it's a little thing, but it is huge for me because I have found that I cannot give everything to everybody when I am giving everything to everybody. We have to be able to say, okay, this is this is not healthy for me. This is not good for my mental health to have constant contact all the time and be open and available at all times. So limiting contact with people that heighten your stress is a good thing. Now, I I understand that there are times that we can't do that. You know, we all have to be around sometimes family or extended family or people that we work with that maybe we, you know, wish that we could limit a little bit more our contact with them and we just can't. But trying to maintain some boundaries in all of our relationships is is super healthy. And I wish this is something that I had known was okay a long time ago. And we have talked a lot about people pleasing. And this is another thing that people pleasers really struggle with is setting boundaries because we don't want to be mean. But it's not being mean to say that you need some space and you need to be able to designate what is important to you and what you need to accomplish And when you have time to give to someone else, you will. And it makes you a better friend. It makes you a better daughter 
you know, son, sister, brother, all of the things, parent even sometimes, you know, we have to be able to set up boundaries and feel confident that it's not going to end a relationship, but actually may help the relationship grow a little bit stronger. Now, when you do this, you are going to get some pushback from some people because if you have been available in your relationship for them all the time, and then suddenly you pull back a little bit, they're going to notice and they're going to be confused. And some of them are going to ask you why. They're going to ask you if you're mad at them. They're going to say, did I do something to upset you? What's going on? And when they ask those questions, be honest. Just be honest. Tell them that you have things that you have to accomplish during the day that require your total concentration. And if if they push back even more, you don't have to really explain yourself. <laughs> you really don't. Just say, I will talk to you when I can. I will give you what I can when it is good for me. And it's going to hurt their feelings. Some of them are going to be upset by that. And I'm sure, you know, think about it. If it were on the other foot, if someone told you that you were being too much for the relationship, that would be a little bit hurtful. But hopefully, if these people love you, they will understand that and will understand that you are trying to maintain your own mental health. And you may need to repeat this to yourself. Self-care is not being selfish. It is not selfishness to put your mental health first. Self-care is not being selfish. Okay, here's another hard one. In order to keep our stress levels low, we have to limit our social media intake. And this is hard. It is hard for me too, because I love nothing more than to lay on the couch and scroll through Instagram. Sometimes I will be shocked to see that I've spent an hour like deep diving in someone's Instagram feed, watching all of their videos and looking at their hairstyles. And that part of it is kind of fun, right? But there's Another part that I don't even think we're realizing we're absorbing as much as we are, and that is the awful side of social media. The world is a dumpster fire right now. I think we can all agree on that. There are awful things, terrible things happening in Israel and Gaza and the United States. People are evil and awful to each other, and I am constantly amazed at the lack of humanity that we witness. I do think it's important for us to see some things because we need to be aware of what is going on. But, you know, I heard someone talking about this on on Instagram, ironically enough, but they were saying that, you know, we are not built as human beings emotionally and mentally. We're not built to be able to handle this onslaught of terrible information and visuals the things that we are seeing and being asked to deal with on a daily basis is too much. It's too much. And, you know, they call it doom scrolling for a reason because a lot of times I'll get on Instagram or on Facebook and every article is depressing. Every news headline is awful. Even the entertainment ones are disheartening. And that's not even adding into or, you know, taking into account the ways that we feel about ourselves, like the the comparisons that we are making, you know, looking at other people's ideals of beauty and body shape and what we should be doing with our time and how successful we should be in comparison with this person who is the same age and the same, you know, 
financial, what all the things. It's keeping up with the Joneses on steroids. <laughs> and if we spend too much time going through all that stuff every day, your anxiety is going to ramp up. You won't even know why. There are times that I will get off Instagram or get off Facebook and my heart is pounding. I feel upset. And it's because I have been peeking into other people's lives. These are are things that I have no control over. Again, I have no say in, but now I'm upset about it. You know, it's not good for us. It's not good for us. Social media has its good sides. I do think that there are things that are great, but it has a lot of negative sides. And so I have found that limiting that information and that amount of time, the amount of time that I spend looking at things that I just don't need to be, it has helped me so much. So again, our iPhones, our smartphones are wonderful things. We can turn off notifications. I have my Instagram notifications. I have my Facebook notifications turned off. And after about eight o'clock, I do not look at it. I just don't. Because if I look at that before I go to bed, I'm not going to sleep because I will be thinking about things that I have seen, worrying about things. If I look at it first thing in the morning, I do the same thing. It sets the tone for my day in a way that I don't like. And I start my day off feeling upset. So if you're looking at social media all the time, sometimes you're starting your day in a heightened sense of anxiety and you're ending your day that way. And that's not good. So Setting parameters around that, you know, we set boundaries with people, we need to set boundaries with our social media as well. Turn it off. Take some, pick up a book, pick up a non-stressful book, watch a comfort movie, you know, replace that doom scrolling, that sense of feeling like you have to look at other people's lives, replace it with something that does not give you any stress. I promise you, it will make a difference. Let's talk about sleep. Because, you know, it's hard for me. (laughs) For a lot of people, sleep is very natural and they have no problem laying down in bed, closing their eyes and drifting away. This has never been my experience. I just am not that person. I'm a lot like Taylor Swift when she had LASIK eye surgery and her mother tells her to sleep and she's like, I'm not asleep. My mind is alive. That is how I feel most of the time. When I lay down, everything that I have ever done in my life comes into my mind. And even though I am now getting better sleep than I probably have had in months, I still struggle with it. Actually, this morning, (laughs) I woke up at 3.45 in the morning. I woke up and I was wide awake. There was no going back to sleep for me. And so I was laying in bed and I was like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And it just wasn't happening. And for some reason, I started thinking about uh, The Last of the Mohicans, (laughs) the movie. Don't ask me where it came from. I was just like, huh, that was a good movie. And then I started wondering, huh, is, is the movie like the book? So then before I know it, I've gotten out my iPhone and I'm researching the differences in the 1992 film with Daniel Daniel Day-Lewis and the actual book by James Fenimore Cooper. And spoiler alert, it's not the same. The movie's better. Um, But I spent, you know, 30 minutes looking up Last of the Mohicans. So do you think I was going to be able to go back to sleep? Absolutely not. I finally just got up. So 
sleeping is important because when I am exhausted, everything is worse. Everything is worse. Everything seems much more dire and important. I lose my temper a lot more easily. People hurt my feelings more easily. Everything gets to me when I am sleepy. And I think that lack of sleep is also the most subtle thing that can be causing us problems that we don't take into account. You know, a lot of times when we're sick or tired, we can be like, this is what's causing me to be sick. This is, I've got a headache, this and this. But we don't often think, how tired am I? How much sleep am I getting? And, you know, there's that whole thing about procrastination. I think it's called revenge procrastination, where at night, you will put off going to bed and doing things because you're doing things that you're enjoying, like it's your free time. I, in the past, have been so guilty of that because during the day I'm working in things and having to do what I don't want necessarily to have to do. And so at night when I have time to read or watch television, I'm like, I'm going to do this until three in the morning. And then in my mind, it's like, go to bed, go to bed, you're tired. But I'm like, but I want to read. And so then I will stumble into bed at three and then, you know, have to get up again at six and be exhausted. And so in the past couple months, I have started doing a routine like we talked about. I try to be in bed every night by nine o'clock. Now, a lot of times I'm not falling asleep at nine o'clock because again, I struggle with that. But having the routine that I have set of getting into bed at a certain time has begun to kind of retrain my brain. It's like it knows that it's time to go to sleep and I start to relax a little bit. But again, sometimes, like I said, like this morning, I will wake up and, you know, I'll be researching Daniel Day-Lewis movies. So it's not always foolproof, but I have found that when I have slept through the night, I am just a much happier, calmer person. It's just the truth. So if you are finding that everything sets you off and you are on edge all of the time, look at your sleep schedule. Are you going to bed at a certain time every night? Are you in bed and getting the full amount of sleep time that you need, six to eight hours? You're probably not. (laughs) Most of us are not. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why a lot of us can't get good sleep. I know people with kids, that's probably almost impossible. But do what you can. Try to rest. And when you have the opportunity to go to bed on time and early, take it. There's plenty of time for you to be able to read and watch TV. You will find time to do it. You don't have to do it all in one night. And then lastly, I want to talk about something that I think in practice is maybe the hardest thing to do. And that is being kind to ourselves. My inner monologue sometimes is so mean. (laughs) And I know that I'm not alone in this. Sometimes I am the mean, not sometimes, I think all the time, I am the meanest that I am to myself. The things that I say to myself and the things I think about myself are ridiculous and they're cruel and insensitive and very unkind. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, if I had been told, if somebody told me some of the things that I have said to myself, I would punch them in the throat and never speak to them again because it would be ridiculous and just awful for someone to walk up to me and say some of the things that I have thought. 
but we do it. We do it every day. I read an article about a woman who was trying to stop this habit of thinking unkind things about herself. And she tied um, like a hair tie, a little elastic band around her wrist. And every time that she thought something mean about herself or negative, she would pop that elastic band and then she would notate it. And I think at the end of the day, it was over 500 times that she had done that in one day. And that sounds awful, but I believe it because I do it all the time. And I have tried to stop doing it and it's hard. It is so hard to do because I don't know what it is about our past or the way that we were, you know, the things that we have been conditioned to believe about ourselves, the self-deprecating. And for me, that is probably the hardest thing for me to quit doing is when I was especially in school, I was the chubby kid. And I learned that before people would make fun of me, I would make fun of myself. So I would say, mean things about myself in a joking way and make people laugh because if I could make them laugh about it, then they weren't going to point it out. And I was like, well, let's just get it out of the way, right? And I've had people point this out to me that I do this a lot. I have tried really hard to stop doing that, but it's hard because it's ingrained in me. I want to point out my flaws before you notice them. And so I will say it, but that is just the surface. You know, Those are the things I say out loud. <laughs> that's not the things that I look in the mirror and think. And I watched a video this week. I think it's on Instagram where it was, um, they asked kids if they could change anything about their body, what would it be? And immediately when that question was asked as an adult, I'm watching this, this is before any of the children gave their answer. I'm immediately going through a list in my mind of my physical flaws, like what I would change. And then the kids answered and all of their answers were like, I'd like a mermaid tail. <laughs> I'd like to be able to fly. I would like to be invisible. You know, they're not thinking of anything about their bodies that they would change. They're not like, I'd like my nose to be smaller. I would like to lose 50 pounds. I wish my lips were more symmetrical. Like they're not thinking that way. In fact, my friend Ashley asked her little boy, he's nine years old, what he would like to change about his body. And he said he'd like to have wings. And, you know, we are not born thinking the way that we think about ourselves in a negative way. Like we're not born that way. And th that really proves it. You know, children do not think of themselves as flawed physically. We learn that. We're taught that. And it makes me very sad, but it also is comforting to know that we're not created to feel so awful about ourselves all the time. We are not supposed to be unkind to ourselves. And so I'm trying really hard, and this has been an ongoing thing, to be kind to myself. And when I have a negative thought, if I'm conscious of it, I try to stop and say, no, that's not true. Because a lot of the things that we feel are not facts. We, you know, we've talked a lot about this too. Feelings are not facts. But a lot of times we feel things about ourselves that just aren't true. And they're things that nobody else is thinking about us. And, you know, again, I was out with some friends the other day and I saw a girl that was probably the same size as me, same age, and she looked great. And I remember thinking, she looks great. And then it, it hit me that like, I am looking at her and thinking she looks great and I look at me sometimes and I'm immediately zeroing in on this and this and this and this and this. And 
Other people are not doing that to me. I guarantee you the things that you are worried about right now, nobody else notices. You are the only one. And this gives us a lot of anxiety. If, if you dwell on everything that you wish you weren't, things that you cannot achieve, you know, perfection is not attainable. It can ruin your life. I mean, really, it can. You know, look at all of these people who, and I'm not dissing plastic surgery. I'm not saying that, you know, sometimes that that is not a necessary thing to sometimes to make people feel better. But look at how many people have ruined their faces. And if you ask them, you know, do they regret having all the surgery? They say, absolutely. Because it's they got fixated on one thing they couldn't change. And they kept thinking they could fix it. And then they have to fix something else. And then it's, you know, it's a vicious cycle. It can ruin your life and it can cause you such anxiety and stress. And so if we can be kinder to ourselves, and it's not just about our appearance. I think that we get caught up on that too. I beat myself up sometimes about things that I said in the third grade, (laughs) you know, or like things I did in middle school and high school that, that I guarantee you the people that I said these things to have not thought about it since it happened. But for me, I'm laying in bed at, you know, two o'clock in the morning thinking, I cannot believe you said that to so-and-so in 1992. (laughs) That is ridiculous. That is anxiety that is just unnecessary. We're placing things on ourselves that we can't do anything about. Be kind to yourself. Give yourself some slack. And, you know, there are also some things that we get upset about that were big deals, right? We made some big mistakes. I have made some huge whopper terrible mistakes that affected a lot of things and caused me a lot of problems, but there is nothing that I can do about it right now. I cannot go back in time and redo the thing that I messed up. I just can't do it. I can only grow from what I did and try to not do it again, but it does me no good to dwell on that because I can't fix it now. It is anxiety that is completely unnecessary. So if you are someone like me who has, you know, spirals and thinks about things and gets in a, you know, a cycle of thought about things that you can't change physically or mentally or your past, try to let that go. Pray about that. I pray about that a lot. That is probably the thing that I pray about the most is letting go of past regrets. Pray for peace over that. God will give you peace if you will ask for peace over that. You may have to ask every day. But it will happen. You will begin to be kinder and more patient and more loving. Cut yourself some slack. You will begin to be able to see yourself the way that God sees you, the way that the people who love you see you. And that is probably the greatest anxiety reducer of them all. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me again this week. And thank you for following and subscribing and telling your friends and family about the podcast. It means so much to me. If you get a chance to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, I would love that. It just helps people find the podcast. If you would like to find me on Instagram, it is super easy. I am at Resting Church Face. I hope you have a fantastic week and let's get together again soon.